Welcome to another episode of a lawyer and a policy analyst walk into a bar. And this week we're discussing correspondent banking and de-risking, where we ask, is there a crisis in the Caribbean? Joining us in this discussion today, another great guest as usual, we have Mr. Dalton Lee, chairperson of the Caribbean Association of Banks, Inc. And we'll let him introduce himself in a bit. But as always, I'm the lawyer. Jadrick Cummings. And I'm Delano D'Souza, the policy analyst. And like Jadrick mentioned, we have another important topic, something that we've been discussing across the region for quite some time, but something which we feel that the, 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 you know, the average person in this, uh, you know, across the region doesn't have a full appreciation or understanding for, and that is the whole notion of correspondent banking and the risking. And, you know, we've heard it said that it's a Caribbean crisis and so, so we wanted to kind of break it down as usual. We have uh, with us, Mr. Dalton Lee, as Jared mentioned, Chairman of the Caribbean Association of Banks. So we're going to ask him to introduce himself and then we're going to just ask him to tell us a little bit about the Caribbean Association of Banks, uh, you know, a little bit about the history and the roles of the organization. So, Mr. Lee, over to you and thanks for being here. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen, for inviting me and I'm, by extension, the Caribbean Association of Banks for this really timely discussion. As my hosts have indicated, my, my name is Dalton Lee, and I am the sitting chair of the Caribbean Association of Banks. In addition, I'm also chairman of the Bank of Montserrat, which is the only indigenous bank on the island at this time. Um, and with regards to the, the history of the Caribbean Association of Banks, it, it, we are the representative body and, and really the recognized voice um, for banks and other financial institutions in the Caribbean. We've been in existence for about for over 40 years. And our main role, as captured in our vision statement, is to be the collective voice that protects, promotes, and strengthens the regional banking sector. And we, we undertake an extensive amount of advocacy-led initiatives and works as we raise awareness of the foremost challenges impacting the industry and also highlighting the immense potential that that sits in the banking sector in the region. Additionally, you know, one of our signature events is our annual conference, um, which in, in, in where we do a lot of training and you know and networking so that um, thought leaders will, will come and they will share their thoughts on what's going on, timely topics in, in banking and financial services in the region, and also on, a, on their outlook for the industry over the next three to five years. So, you know, we, we have t um, members in 20 territories. We have about... Yeah, I was just about to ask you that, about <laughs> you know, the, the, the expanse of your membership. Yeah, yeah. We, we, have, um, we have members in about 20 territories, starting from the Bahamas in the north, all the way down to Suriname in the south. Um, oh, and wow. we, there, there are 81 um, member institutions to, to the organization. And at December 31st, 2019, those institutions collectively had in excess of 41 billion dollars US dollars in assets so we're not talking no small money we talking no no no, 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 no this no, is a no, big no. representation <laughs> of the banks across yeah, yeah, the region yeah ab absolutely <laughs> and 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 I, and I think the the interesting thing about that is that um you know the the membership spans both indigenous banks so all the, the the banks that you would typically hear that start with bank of Montserrat, St. Lucia, Antigua, you know, all those. 
And then some of the international banks also, um, you know, are, are, have become members of the organization. Mm -hmm. And then even some of the more regional banks like um, First Citizens and um, Republic. Republic no. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So, so I think it's a very good collective, um, a collection of banks that we have in that, you know, we represent the broad swath from the very smallest, um, you know, which... I will put in a plug for us because we are the smallest. Um, I'm from Montserrat originally. Um, uh -huh. And so, you know, up to the How largest. How many banks are in Montserrat? <laughs> Just <laughs> well, you know, you know, you know, you don't, don't not, not because it's a small island. We, we have more than one bank. No, 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 no. I kid, I kid, I kid. No, we have two um, commercial banks on the island right now. Um, and then we have two other financial institutions, a credit union, and a building society that serve approximately 5,000 um, residents, full-time residents. Okay, okay. So that's a little back, background of, of, the, of, um, of the cab and who we are and, and how, we serve, how we serve our members. Well, I, that's brilliant because, I mean, honestly, when I, when I first heard about the Caribbean Association of Banks, I was wondering how, how far does their membership go in terms of the north? You mentioned the Bahamas. You go out and I was wondering, right. does it encompass banks in Jamaica? So it's good that our listeners kind of know how, just how many banks you represent and, and, and how far across the region you spread. Now, like I mentioned in the start, for years, persons in the Caribbean have been, well, at least the last couple of years, they've been alerted to the rise of the phenomenon that we refer to as the risking. And for years as well, we've also been hearing the words correspondent banking and the risking being thrown around and using sentences, presentations, documents by government officials, bankers, academics, and especially the media. Uh, however, uh, as you would appreciate, Mr. Lee, as, as, as with many of the topics that we discuss on this podcast, Dradrick, uh, one, one cannot say with any great level of certainty that these are words or issues that are fully understood and appreciated by the masses throughout the Caribbean, uh, hence why we're having this discussion. I could tell you myself, I'm not ashamed to say, but a lot of these terms I'm just getting to grips with in the past few years. Um, you know, even, you know, the, the abbreviations, KYC, ML, all of that, mm -hmm. things are only mm -hmm. getting familiar with recently. So it's good that we're having these discussions, yeah. Uh, Mr. Lee, uh, you're, the, you're the banker here, the expert here. What is correspondent banking and, and why do we have those banking relationships? In, in a nutshell, um, correspondent banking refers to the practice where uh, you know, a larger or an international bank, predominantly an international bank, provide correspondent services. That is, you know, they act as the middleman or intermediary in the facilitation of cross-border transactions, such as wire transfers on behalf of smaller or non-international banks, referred to as respondent banks. So you've got the correspondent banks, which are in the big money centers of the world, and you've got mm -hmm. the respondent banks, which are the smaller non-international banks, primarily in third world and, and developing countries. But, but, but even you could even have a correspondent and respondent banking relationship in, I wouldn't say, maybe, maybe they, they, I don't know that they have second world territories, but if you, if you think about, as an example, some Eastern European countries who would want to do business with the United States, they would also, those banks would also have to have some form of correspondent banking so, so, so it's not just a small island or a small exactly. island thing. It, it's a exactly. thing with, with it's an established um relationship between larger international banks in the major cities we could think about in the us in london right. and, and so on right and in major cities in europe so it's not a caribbean thing per se now is it so it, it's really not localized to us it's a phenomenon we're seeing all over the world 
That is correct. That is correct. And and for, but for us in the in the in the region, it, the the important role that it plays in, in, in it plays a very important role in our day to day life. And you know, it's it really often is underappreciated or not understood. Um, yet our very ability to participate in the global trade is hinged on the existence of correspondent banking relationships. You know, given that most Caribbean jurisdictions are net importers, you know, as an example, you know, everything from the items in the supermarkets to the vehicles that we drive all depend on, on correspondent banking relationships. And, you know, it is estimated that approximately two billion US dollars in, in trade flows between the, the region and the United States on a yearly basis. So, you know, we're oh, not wow. talking about, you know, a um, little bit of money here. We're talking about real dollars. I know, you know, to the US is not a lot, but for, for us, you know, in the region and to many other parts of the world, that, that's a lot of money that, you know, would transfer, that would cross border. So mm -hmm. it's very, very in, in, in important that our islands um, maintain, have and maintain correspondent banking um, relationship. And, you know, because it, it really puts a disproportionate dependency on us, um, you know, to have correspondent banking relationships. Yeah, and um, Mr. Ian D'Souza, uh, in a publication in 2017, of course, I think he's your, um, he's the chair of your correspondent banking committee uh, for the CAB. Um, yeah. And he wrote a paper, uh, a quote, and I think uh, entitled Correspondent Banking and De-Risking, and he spoke about the unintended consequences of, of regulatory guidelines and the threat uh, to the indigenous banking sector and, and, of course, in the region. But in that paper, what I found interesting is that he, he basically said, um, what well, kind of what you just mentioned, that major U.S. banks in the past of have courted the banks in the Caribbean for their cross-border transaction business. Of course, they generate fees for hosting the settlement accounts to facilitate the wire transfers. And the correspondent banks offered uh, pay payable through accounts and all these type of things. So he kind of, you know, itemized some of the benefits that you're speaking about. In addition to the fees that they earn, the correspondent banks also benefited from treasury management, uh, from the treasury management perspective on the holding of deposit and nostril accounts and all these type of things. But he said also in his paper, and I, like I mentioned, he said that, and you, we identify that it's not a, a regional phenomenon only. He spoke about the fact that worldwide, including banks, even within the U.S. itself and Canada, but mostly in terms of Africa, Eastern Europe, the South Pacific and the Middle East, um, they're having uh, the risking occurring as well. But he are, they argue in the paper that the effects have been mostly very in the Caribbean for many ways. So he gave the example, for example, um, that in, in, as of 2018, more than 55% of um of um, Caribbean Association of Bank general members had lost some form of corresponding banking relationships. He spoke about Belize uh, and that the nation's yep, where they lost everything. The exactly. Yep. He spoke about that. He spoke about in Guyana, some mm -hmm. banks saw corresponding banking transactions decline by as much as 27%. So all across the region, we've seen wire transfers and so on um, that are, you know, heavily affected by, by, in terms of, and that has direct implications of business. And that's, oh, yeah. that's kind of what I want to underlie here as we speak about this the real economic implications of what we're discussing. And so we don't want to just limit it to the banks. Because some people say, oh, well, that's a banking thing. Yeah, but we no, want them to no, understand it's a no. everyday things in, in terms of how we do business and how we live as a people. And that's yeah. kind of what we kind of wanted to bring out well, here. You know, here's an example. So let us suppose 
that, you know, there was an individual in, in pretty much any of the Caribbean territories that are members of our association, you know, you know, wants to buy a vehicle from Japan. And, you know, that's a common occurrence every day in the Caribbean. Very common. <laughs> very, very common. Uh, you know, I tell you, I think mm -hmm. there are more cars on Montserrat than there are people, but that's a different story. <laughs> uh, but for the money to receive, to be received by the Japanese seller, more than likely, that individual would have to wire this money to the person in Japan. When the wire transfer process begins, the funds will go from his or her bank in the Caribbean to an intermediary or correspondent bank in the U.S. And then from there, it will get to the final destination of the person in, um, in Japan and into their account. And so, you know, if you think about it from that perspective, you, you realize how intertwined in our daily lives, you know, have your bank having a correspondent banking relationship is uh, how important it is to you, uh, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. Definitely. I mean, you can't... People think that when they send off money from their, car, from their account, the EC dollar ended up in Japan to buy the <laughs> Yeah, exactly. People forget about these things. The reality is it don't happen. So they have no need for Bajan for dollars, for EC oh, dollars, exactly. for exactly. dollars. What they want is a currency that they can spend. Exactly. exactly. I, could tell, I, didn't, I didn't appreciate this either until I actually started what, working in my firm and we actually had to do wires and so that there's this intermediary intermediary bank and this correspondent bank and so forth because it's something that i don't think you think about the average you know customer of a bank on a day-to-day -day when they want to go ahead and send a wire transfer you're thinking all right it's just a simple process they go ahead and you know type up some things in the computer and that goes off but you don't appreciate all the little nuances and the the correspondent bank what they have to do and that kind of thing so um it's something that i myself was not even aware about until you know maybe i know 10 years ago when i started or eight years ago when I started um, actually practicing law, but yeah. So you mentioned you you mentioned um, de-risking, you know, and and I think that's another one of those terms where you know uh, people hear it and they they they're probably a little bit confused by it, um, and they, they don't prop they don't fully understand it and appreciate it, you know. But you know, if you stop and think about it, the you know we are all, if nothing else, we've all had very sound. English teachings coming up, going going to um, elementary school in the Caribbean. So if you say, if you hear de-risking, you you know basically what it means. It means reducing risk um, or removing risk, mm -hmm. um, identifying and removing risk. Right. Um, and you know, and in the banking world, de-risking often involves the termination of correspondent banking relationships by correspondent banks due to the perception and note the emphasis that I placed on perception. Um, to a high degree of risk affiliation affiliated with the respondent banks, with those banks, you know, primarily in the Caribbean. So in that context, the situation has been, you know, multifaceted with two primary concerns being raised as far as the risk that these large money center banks, are, are, you know, perceive exist in the region. The first is the bank, the, the region has had this long perceived, you know, thing where, you know, to be high risk due to purported weak anti-money laundering and combating financing terrorism laws. So, um, as... And that's um, the AML and your CTF, that, that, There you go. All the people so who see the AML was saying, AML, CTF. And, you know, anti-money laundering, you know, and so nobody wants to be, nobody wants to launder money. Nobody wants to launder money for anything. Well, we would hope that nobody wants <laughs> well, to launder money. Well, that is true. <laughs> no. Well, let's hope that no proper banker 
would want to launder money for anyone. <laughs> and and nobody for sure would want to no no want to get caught. Let, <laughs> let, let, let me put it a different way. No institution <laughs> would want to do um you know would want to provide funding to any terrorist organization. And so, you know, so they 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 have this perception that, you know, we have we or we've had weak AML CFT laws. And secondly, that, you know, there, there's relatively low profit earnings per correspondent banking transactions vis-a-vis -vis the penalty that the, the correspondent bank would face should a, um, a transgression occur in the, at the respondent banking um, level. So, you know, as an example, so basically, it's not it's not worth the headache, is what you're saying. Exactly, to them, exactly. To them they're kind of weighing the pros exactly. and the cons, and they say, exactly. hey, look, if if we, you know, if something slips through the cracks and we get brought up on charges or you know, we, an accusation is, is made against our bank, is it worth the little five? You know, I, I'm just calling a figure out the little hundred dollars or how much ever they're making in terms of the right. fees and so on for the, right. for having the, the the correspondent banking relation, and that's a real concern because we've seen in terms of the shifts in terms of um at least from what I've seen. In terms of banking and so we often see that they they sometimes they would get even though the the, the particular sector the particular arm is profitable sometimes if, if it's not profitable enough you know you might find that they're they're moving around their their you know kind of rejigging their operations to, to kind of find a, a better mix and we see that all the time especially with these big banks and delano that is that is the crux of the the, the matter that we have i i think that from our perspective um this is what i will say and I'm not casting aspersions on anybody. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. These are the stone cold facts. That's all it is. So, and I'm speaking for Dalton Lee, I, you know, but I will say this. I'm um, speaking for Delano D'Souza as well. <laughs> so, but, but here's what I would say. Here's what I would say. So, you know, we had all this um, de-risking and people have lost their corresponding banking relationships and they say, well, it's because your AML, CFT um, protocols are not rigorous enough and you don't have enough systems in place and checks and balances and, you know, all that stuff. So, as good corporate citizens and in individuals who have an obligation and fiduciary responsibility to our depositors, we run out and we buy, implement the most um, technologically advanced systems that money can buy. Then on top of that, we invest millions, if not, if not tens of millions, maybe if, if not hundreds of millions, then at least tens of millions of dollars in training the people so that they are now, we, no, I don't think you can go to any Caribbean island that has a bank and not find a properly certified you know, AML, CFT, you know, that person working in that bank, okay? And if you're gone maybe seven, eight years ago, that would not have been the case. So you have that, that was put out there as, okay, you're not compliant, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. So we run around and we do what we're supposed to do. Ask me how many of the banks who have been de risk have gotten their correspondent bank, um, banking relationships reinstated after having gone through all of that. With the banks who de-risked them. I, I, but but let me ask you, how many? <laughs> <laughs> that would be zero. Oh, wow. That would be yeah, zero. Wow. That, that I'm aware of. I, you know, there may be some out there, but if there are, I'm not aware of them. Um, and so it, it, it begs the question, what is the real reason then? What is the real reason that, you know, we, they have impacted our, our lives and our livelihoods in, in this manner? Listen. I understand that we were not 
up to snuff. I, I completely understand that. So, but so I don't in think, your in, in your mind, uh, initially when some of these allegations were being leveled by these international correspondent banks, in your mind there was a deficiency in the Caribbean in terms of our AML um, CTF practices. Yes, absolutely. There, there, no, no, there was no doubt about that. I, 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 I can't. Sh- I won't sugarcoat it. Absolutely, there were. But I think that that is that that is certainly not the case now. I mean, you you know, you mentioned Belize. I don't think you can find a a a, a more compliant country as a whole than Belize. Um, and you know, they're still you know, I, you know, good or bad. I think you know they're they're still on these blacklist, so to speak. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, this European, um, the EU blacklist of, of mm-hmm. non-compliant um, uh, jurisdictions. Uh, uh, or yeah, jurisdictions. Yeah. So you know, I I I have to wonder. I mean, we we have to continue to do what we're supposed to do, so that we're you know we're compliant and that you know we're we're taking all the necessary precautions. But then at some point, you honestly you have to ask yourself, you know. It feels like a moving goalpost. Well, you know, someone has said that. (laughs) You know, a very close colleague of mine um, says that all the time, is that as you get closer to this goalpost, then it gets moved again. Um, You know, but, but, and and I don't think that it's fair. I I just don't think it's fair. Mm -hmm. I think, I, I, I think that if you say to someone, if you, if I said to my my sixteen year old son, "Hey, your your grades grades are not where they're, they're supposed to be," but you know, and so you're not gonna get whatever it is that you want, you know, the Xbox, the sneakers, you know, whatever, the the new the latest iPhone, but you know, get your grades up, and you know, we'll we 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 can have that yeah, conversation. Yeah, we can talk about it. Yeah, yeah, mm. we can have that conversation. And then he gets his grade up. You know, he's all you know, he's all A's, and he's all happy, and yada yada. And then I said, well, you know, you got a ninety six. You really mm. should have gotten a ninety nine. Fell short. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that is how we feel. You know, mm-hmm. that that is how we feel. Now, the folks on the other side may have a completely different perspective. And, and I think uh, when, when you see, when you hear about the, like, things like the, the Panama Papers and, you know, and, and things like that, you know, it, it, it helps to reinforce that perception mm-hmm. of money laundering, uh, money laundering and, 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 and people hiding yeah. money yeah. and, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it but, doesn't but, help us at all. But I want to kind of jump back, though, to, mm-hmm. you You know, you said that we did have, we were deficient at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think were some of the reasons that we were deficient? Was it that our laws needed strengthening? Was it that the, you know, the, the regulation was off? Um, what, why, why do you think that there was such a deficiency at the time? That you risking first started um rearing its ugly head. I think you've hit. I think you've hit the the um the nail on the head there. Um, is that there were no there was no uniformity of of laws across all the territories mandating you know A Y and Z or A B and C as it pertains to AML CFT. And I also think that even internationally, the the, the standards there, there was there was a lack of standardization just across all. You know, regulatory bodies and legislative bodies mm, as definitely. to what as to what you know was required, and and even and and, and regulatory, but even some of the central banks, you know, stuff like that. But but now I think where there's the, the the cab has worked extensively. That's one of the things that we've we've been um, advocating for is you know the harmonization of legislation across the region on key topics you know AML CFT you know credit bureau credit sharing of credit information you know all that sort of stuff all those things that would make life easier for the customers 
and for the banks. Because, you know, it, it, it's all about, and from our perspective, it's all about having a healthy financial sector that can then serve their individual customers and clients. Yeah, definitely. And even uh, Mr. D'Souza in his, um, and it's funny because my name is D'Souza, but anyhow, um, Mr. Ian D'Souza in the paper that I was referring to earlier, he actually pointed out like um, the, the financial action task force and all of those, there was, no, mm-hmm. there was not enough harmonization there in terms of mm-hmm. their regulations and their mm-hmm. blacklists and so on. Mm-hmm. So it was difficult for the Caribbean to kind of have a unified legal position or regulatory position. And so, you know, it's one thing to say that, okay, well, you know, the Caribbean isn't up to scratch. But I mean, what is the Caribbean not up to scratch to? It might be up to scratch in one thing for the FATF, or it might be it might it might not be in terms of something for the European Union. So it's really one of those type of things that that needed to be harmonized, and we've kind of been seeing that word there. Um, we've been speaking a lot around the whole notion of the impacts of the risking, but as usual, what we try to do is we kind of bring it back to the real life of the person. So when we talk about um, the impacts of the risking, you would have mentioned that the, the a lot of the cost of compliance has been placed. Uh, it plays a heavy burden on the industry, the banking sector. And, you know, you've spent tens of millions, as you mentioned, in terms of training, in terms of um, getting the systems and the, the, the technology up to scratch. And, of course, that's going to be, um, for some of the bigger banks, that might be okay. Um, but for the smaller banks, how have they fared in terms of this increasing cost? I think that's, that's, a, that's a very good um, um, question in, in that, yes, the, the larger banks can absorb it and, and, and move on. You know, I... The, the smaller banks are having a very difficult time in in just in in being able to well they had to implement it there was another choice um, but it has had a um, a significant impact on their you know their profitability in whatever year or years that they've chosen to implement these systems and you know and and so what what you see is you know if you were to probably look at financial statements across the region you you will see uh, you know growth, 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 and then maybe a plateau or maybe like a slight dip in earnings over the years, over a couple, maybe two years as they, they, they go about implementing the these systems and processes and training the individuals. And then hopefully you'll see kind of a, a an incline. Now, COVID happening this year, that put all of that, you know, that, that put the trajectory completely off. But, you know, I, 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 I think that it across the region, what you would see is that that has had, you know, a significant impact on the on the overall earnings of banks within the region. Right, definitely. I want to pivot to the issue of remittances and the mm-hmm. fact that um, really what the correspondent banking or the threat of a loss of correspondent banking relationships has done is that in terms of the region, um, many of the banks have been kind of forced to terminate some of the relationships with the money transfer businesses such as Western Union and MoneyVam and so on. And this um, has interfered with the flow of international remittances and uh, we know how important um, in the Caribbean, how important remittances are in terms of the, the uh, our economies and some of our most vulnerable people. And, and that is something that I saw that, I, that has been spoken about a lot in terms of how um, this whole notion of de-risking is affecting how uh, remittances is being transited um, through, um, well, from the U.S. and from these bigger metropolitan countries into the region. Uh, what are your thoughts on that in terms of what it means to, the, to, to, to our economies in the region. There again, I, I think it, it's very important for the listener to understand that, you know, it, it, it's not real. Yes, it, it impacts the banks, but it's really our customers that gets, who feel the pain the most. And you raise, you know, money movers, you know, Western Unions and MoneyGram and, you know, um, 
um, entities like that, that a lot of our customers uh, uh, throughout the region use. And, and you're absolutely correct. Remittances are, are in, in a lot of islands are the mainstay or one of the major contributing, one of the major driving um, engines in the economy. And so when you, in order to, <laughs> to maintain your correspondent banking relationship with the, with the major money center bank, w- one of the things that they look at is they say, okay, you have KYC, which stands for know your customer. So, but my customer is the, is the Western Union franchise on the island, whatever island it is, or the MoneyGram um, franchise on that island. And so I would say, okay, and, and nine times out of 10, you know, they would have, the, the owner of that entity may have other businesses. You know, it may be a grocery store um, place, it may be a car dealership, it may be, you know, whatever. It may be in commercial real estate um, leasing or something. Mm-hmm. And this is another business that he owns. And so he is an established customer of ours. We know him. You we know, know him. He knows you. He, he knows. Exactly. Exactly. As, as exactly. your boy, you know him. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But that, in, in a lot of instances, is just not good enough. Now, they've put added pressure on the banks asking that we not only know our customers, but we're customers, charged, you know, customers, customers, customer. <laughs> right. And I was like, right. well, you know, and, and if you can't verify that you've done the proper due diligence on the customer's customer, then, you know, they don't want to handle that, that, that business, you know? And so, and so what that has led to in a, in a lot of instances is a, a bifurcation of, um, correspondent banking relationships in that you would have a bank that would have a, a banking a correspondent banking relationship with let's say Citibank as an example through which they would process all their you know their regular transactions and you know that kind of stuff but city doesn't want to have anything to do with any money movers and so they would have to go out and find a different bank to establish a correspondent banking relationship. So the middleman has a middleman. (laughs) Exactly. 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 To provide, you know, correspondent banking relationship to the the money movers on on their island. And you know, and 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 so you're incurring additional expense, additional, you know, kind mm-hmm. of fees, additional, you know, just um work for your internal staff, you know, because it's it's no longer that you have one channel through which all of those funds go. You got to say, "Okay, well, this is from here, so I got to go over here. I got to shut this down. I got to go to this one. I got to do this." You know, so it's it's a little bit um and 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 that's and that's true in in other ways also. That's just one instance. I mean, I know banks that have correspondent banking relationships that deal with, you know, the wire transfers and things like that. But just let's stop and think about this. What most people, what a lot of people don't even think about is that when you use your credit card and you, you, you buy something on Amazon in U.S. dollars in the, in the Caribbean, that has to get sat, settled somewhere also. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, so you, you and, and, what we and have Prime found. week was last week, so you know enough people use it. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, th- so that has to get settled some some way also, and so there 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 has to be um, and and some correspondent banks won't settle, you know, credit card transactions. And so the banks would have to go out and they'd have one that does wire transfers, one that does. Um, you know, um, uh, credit card transactions, another one that does money movers stuff. So it's, you know, we, we've had to put together a hodgepodge solution to this um, 
problem. Whereas previously we had, you know, one stop and you could kind of control and contain and manage yeah. your, your cost and your that, services. That sounds difficult, one, in terms of the cost. It also sounds difficult in terms of monitoring and it sounds kind of counterintuitive or counterproductive to the whole notion of managing the risk uh, from the start, which is obviously the intention of these of these um, international banks, but if they, you, you know, you know, spreading yourself all over the place, so many different um, ba- banking relationships, and so it, it seems counterintuitive to me. And and you're absolutely correct. But that is the that is the 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 state that we find ourselves in. At, you know, in in October, soon to be November, 2020. Um, and we we are hopeful. We we are hopeful that you know as the region continues to grow as we come out of this you know COVID induced economic slump and the the, the region continues economies continue to grow. Um, that you w- we will find that the correspondent banks from the major money centers will will come back and take another look at us. I I will say the other thing. <laughs> You mentioned Guyana, and I'll tell you a little anecdote. You know, Guyana, there are a lot of banks that left Guyana. They just, you know, there was like, oh, there's too much risk. There was, you know, economic, not economic, um, political. Time I'm telling you, oil boss. Yeah. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> That's it. And they could not get back to Guyana fast enough. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so you see, it's, you know, it, it's, it's a little bit of, okay, yes, we weren't compliant. And I think that was, that was really what they use but i think the reality is that it was a business and an economic decision that they made around you guys, you guys yeah. not worth the headache so i i would say that. The, and and and, uh, and and let me also say another thing about um aml cft I, I think what that has created for our customers for the for our members and their individual customers is really a hardship on the, the the customers because you or I going into a bank on any of those any of our islands in the region the things that you get asked for to provide in order to open a simple checking account and you got to have these oh, IDs yeah. and then you got to have this you know um, um, reference and you got to have this exactly exactly you know and and I, I, I will say this I, I, I will say this most Americans can sit in their homes, in their pajamas, get on their computers, and open up an account. Oh, wow. <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I will say is that there, there's this classification of, um, it's called politically exposed people. And so, you know, PEP for short, just like AML and mm-hmm. CFT. And and what, what that is, you know, it is a designation assigned to individuals who are, you know, ministers of government, you know, your your prime ministers, your premiers, your, you know, and people in People like you, Jadrick, and Mr. Lee, people like you. Yeah, and so and and, and and you know, because they the, the perception is that there's this propensity for um for fraud amongst people at that level in, in government in developing countries, they've had this designation and with it come additional scrutiny for opening of bank accounts. Right. And for the transactions that flow through it. And so you've got to be monitoring, well, how much money came through here and yada, 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 yada. Right. The interesting thing, gentlemen, is there is no such designation in any 
of the large countries of the world. Justice! Oh, <laughs> we were just... Sorry. <laughs> That's all I will say. That's all I will say. I'm just, I'm just going to let you know the facts. <laughs> Those are the facts. Um, you know, and so, I, and so, you know, you've, you've got to wonder. You really, really have to wonder about it. And, you know, we, 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 we continue to do our best. We continue to be good citizens, you know, and all we ask for is, is, a, is a level playing field. For, for us in the in, in the region. It, it's, that's all we're asking for. It's just a level playing field that, you know, we know what the expectations are. We know what the, where the goalpost is. And so when we get there, that, you know, we'll be rewarded with what, you know, everybody else is rewarded with. That's all we're asking for. Yeah. As you are saying that, there, it's easier for a lot of, for some customers to, well, in America, to just sit in there on their couch and open up a bank account. Isn't it a direct or an indirect penalty of us trying to be so compliant with these regulations to say that it's easier if I can just hop on a plane and probably go to Miami and open an account there? Um, isn't it that the banks here, they're losing customers and trying to be proactive and trying to stay ahead of these regulations? Isn't that something that would just drive away uh, these banks from these regions as well? Yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely correct. I mean, I, I, I've, I've, I know of individuals who, you know, they, they, they go to an island and they're trying to open a bank account and they're just, you know, they, they live in, in, in North America or they live in, in London or Europe someplace and, you know, they, or Canada and they, they, they go home, you know, and everybody, they want to have a little something back home. You never know when you're going to go down and what you're going to need. You know how we are. Um, and so, you know, and, and they will walk in and the bank would ask them for everything and they'll be like, nah, I'm just not going to do it. I'm just not going to do it. Yeah. It's just not worth and my time. Exactly. Yeah. And a lot of people keep their money elsewhere because even when I initially moved to Barbados, I was having some difficulty in, in getting an account set up here. So there was a long period of time where I banked through St. Vincent, although I lived in Barbados. Mm-hmm. My salary would go to, Bar- to go to St. Vincent. I would then withdraw to ATM and, and all these type of things. And mm-hmm. a lot of that had to do with some of the difficulty in, in getting an account set up. And, and, and that's the reality of it. And it's definitely, we spoke about um, increased costs for the banks. Um, we now kind of um, alluding to some of the lost revenue in terms of, um, you know, banks not being able to get new accounts, to get new customers and so on. And even in terms of, um, persons finding alternative means to, to do their business because of the difficulty or the cost associated um, with, with, with certain transactions. And we also spoke about um, the cost of individuals and businesses. What I wanted to ask you is if you could kind of, we mentioned Belize, we mentioned Guyana a bit. Um, could you speak to any particular countries um, in the region which are perhaps being more affected by the advent of de-risking than, than others? Because I know for, even within our own region, there are certain risk profiles, so to speak, assigned um, by these international correspondent bank, uh, banks to, to individual countries within the region? Well, I'm hesitant to point fingers at, at my, my fellow um, you know, bankers in the region or my fellow Caribbean brethren and sister in, you know, in, in, you know, from a territorial perspective. But, you know, I, but I think it's, 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 it's clear to anyone who, or, and it's easy to find um, where individual territories and, and, and countries have been singled out consistently by these regulatory bodies, um, you know, for the, 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 the smallest perceived in, infraction. And in some instances, it's not even a, 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 an, an infraction. I, I think that most notably, and, and I, I, I can say this because, you know, um, um, your, your prime minister, 
um, Jadwick, not 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 Dr. Gonzalez, but the Honorable Mia Motley, my my personal hero. You know, spoke about the impact that um, the most recent EU blacklisting um, had, and, and and you know it, and, and I think in in that case, her point was that it's unfair because there were Barbados was placed on the list for something that got delayed because of COVID. And, you know, I, it, and if memory right. serves me, they, they, they've either completed it or they're in the process of completing it. And so, you know, I, it's, it's, it's instances like that that, you know, leave one scratching their head about just the uniformity of the application across the region and, you know, around the world. Um, you know, because you, you can't tell me, I think m- most of us did not expect COVID well. All of us did not expect COVID to have the impact that it's had on us this year. And so, you know, to to penalize a country, and, and it is a penalty, because when you get on that list, you know, you know ba- banks look at you completely different than when you're, you know, you're not Everybody on watching your side, eh? Exactly, exactly, you know. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's a little, um, it's a little unfortunate. Um, you know, so th- they've been on the list, you know, so, um, the the um, and some of the other territories in the northern part of the um, of the region have been singled out, you know, time and time again for for instances um, where they say mm-hmm. they're non-compliant. But I, 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 I would say that as a whole, you know, they look at the region. They don't really I mean, yes. From time to time, they would pick a particular territory, but it's 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 viewed as regionally. They, you know, Montserrat, we are as safe as you know any place in the world. You know, with five thousand people who live there all the time, who, you know, who really money laundering. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. You know, and and I I, I would I, I will say this. You know, um, Montserrat is probably one of the few islands in the region where you could still leave your door open, leave your cars in, your keys in your car, leave your purse on your seat in your car. The ladies can do that right. and come back and find it. You know, and, and when I say I'm, I'm not being I'm not making any gra- no 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 um generalization. It's a fact. It is a fact. You can go sleep with your door open and nobody you can leave your door open and nobody's gonna mess with it. So, so but, but, but 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 we still kinda get wrapped up in that whole milieu of risk associated mm-hmm. with the region overall. Mm-hmm. And and I remember there's a I'll say a, I'll say a couple of things. Two two more things. I'll say I, I, I remember I was at a conference and um we were we we're having this conversation. We always have these conversations, you know, the, 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 the cab, we go out, we go to all the major conferences on this topic and, and just on banking, you know, whether it be in um in Miami or London or, or even um, in Europe, you know, we've, we we travel because you know you we see why you're a politically exposed person. <laughs> 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 you know, and so we're having this conversation, and you know, we're arguing um, ferociously um, uh, for 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 our point. You know, and and um, you know, we're you know we are backing each other up and whatnot. And and there was a there was a guy from one of the the, the large banks. And he says, okay, so let's say this. Let, let me say this from our perspective. And this kind of give you a, a little insight as to how they think. They're like, okay, so you're right in that in this instance, and we were talking about um, whatever the most recent instance in the news was. He says, you're right. In this instance, the money did not start or end in, your, in any Caribbean t- territory. It started in Europe, and I think it ended someplace in the Middle East. And, you know, it was millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. However, the company you moving the money is registered in one of your territories. And so when your bank accepts the, the fees to keep that company registered, you are, in essence, aiding them 
in laundering money. Wow. And I was like, wow. So, you know, so, so, exactly. I mean, you understand how much of a stretch that is, but you know, it is, listen, it's their ball game. They get to call the, 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 um, the, the balls on strikes, as we would say in the United States yeah, in baseball. You pays the paper. Exactly. You know, so, 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 and then the, the last, one of the last things I would say though, on that is in January of this year, I had the privilege to represent the Caribbean Association of Banks at a, a symposium. And this was an intellectual discussion on whether or not all of the processes, systems, training, and, and the billions of dollars that have gone into AML CFT over the last probably five to, to 10 years, whether or not it has in any way impacted laundering money or the transfer of you know funds for, for to to um or, or to cause terrorism and it was an intellectual discussion there were more doctors in that place than at a, at a hospital and they came from you know they came from Europe they came from England they came from as far away as Australia they came from Japan and everybody had their PhD in this and PhD in that and uh, you know and their postgraduates in in a B C and D right and so it was a discussion so it was a, and they all had papers and so you had, you know, they present their papers and then you'd have someone kind of test them with the veracity of their thesis and then you'd have a discussion, an open discussion about it. And I will tell you that almost to a paper that was presented, there was no concrete evidence that there was a significant decrease in AML CFT as a result of the implementation of all of these standards. And so, because you know how it is, you stick your finger in this hole and the money flows out through a different one. You yeah, create I mean, this that's, particular That's thing. the mark of a good criminal. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you have to exactly. find new ways to get so, what you need done, done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and so, you know, I, I, I think it's, but, but, but you have to do your best. You have to have a system that, you know, that reasonable people would think, okay, yeah, this will, this should impede their ability to do X, Y, or Z. But as you're thinking about that, um, you have them on the other side thinking, okay, they put a roadblock up, up out here. Let me think about how I can get my money move from, you know, here to there. And, and I think it was very, that whole discussion, it was like a two, maybe three day um, symposium. And it was very, very interesting because, you know, and, and I, I saw more equations that I've ever seen in my life because it was really all quantitative analysis. It wasn't like suppositions mm. and, you know, whatnot. They looked at all the money flows. They looked at all the, you know, the, the balance of payments. They looked at all, you know, just, they looked at everything, you know, anything that they could concretely put their hands on for a particular um, country or, or region and you know they they analyzed it um, mm -hmm. and so it was it was very very interesting to see that and to to understand from a, a purely um, analytical and quantitative perspective mm -hmm. almost objective know, the, as well Sub right, right. objective objective yeah. not subjective at all very objective mm -hmm. yeah so yeah I mean, you, you kind of spoke, and that was very interesting, and that's one of the things I, I wondered as well as I read some of the, the, the research on this. I mean, I mean, and even with the, the wind, I think it's the FinCEN papers that recently, that leak um, last month or so about the money laundering <laughs> happening to the, to, the, to London and the UK and so on. When you think about that and you think about, <laughs> you know, how, just how much money is being moved and so, can we really say that we've put a dent in this thing? And, it is, and is, is it worth alienating and causing all of this economic strife for the smaller countries 
But I kind of wanted to pivot slightly, and we've kind of discussed a little bit, but I know the people in the region are kind of wondering, okay, all of these things are happening, but what are we doing about it? And so I, I kind of wanted to ask, like, what is CAB um, been doing in, t- in, in terms of responding, uh, in terms of the initiatives, advocacy, training? Uh, you spoke a little bit about the training before and some of the procedure and operational changes, because I know the people, these are what the, the listeners are going to want to hear about. And I also want to know, has there been any collaborati- collaboration, sorry, with regional governments in terms of the response. But yeah, you know, as as I said in, in when I was giving you a little background on who CAB is and what we do, you know, we, we clearly are, you know, we, we we advocate on behalf of our of our members. And, you know, we were among the first, if not the first organization within CARICOM to raise the issue of the risking, the risking. You know, and since it started back in 2015, we've advocated tirelessly, tirelessly on behalf of our members from the regional to the, uh, to the international level. Some of our, you know, we, we've, some of our some most prominent advocacy engagements involved, we, we met with, in 2016, with the Caribbean ministers of government on, a, you know, on, on correspondent banking relationship. And the threat to the economies of our of our members of our member um, nations you know we we participated in the international monetary fund um caribbean round table table on on solutions you know for the withdrawal of of crbt in 2017 and 2018 you know we went to world bank groups on you know on on, on that sort of stuff and you know and dialogue and the risking you know, and the Financial Services Board in UK. And, you know, so we've we've worked very, very diligently to advocate. And and I think, you know, we we th- this has to be approached on a number of levels. Clearly, we are advocating at a regional banking level. And so because we represent the banks across the region. And so we are advocating at that level. And so we would interact with the regulatory bodies, you know, a, a lot of the regulatory bodies. And, you know, in some instances, some of the governmental um, bodies as well. But in addition to that, you've had you it has to be addressed at the diplomatic level. And and towards that end, you know that, you know, um um Prime Minister um Brown Gaston and Antigua, Brown. Yeah, yeah, I was about to yeah. ask you about the, yeah, the meeting he that he had with the banking yeah, he, um sector in the US. Bank, um thing to, to Congress there last year. Um and so, you know, they're working on things at that level. We continue to work on things on our level. And then the banks, the individual banks, um, you know, have been been very diligent in making sure that they're compliant and that they're maintaining good banking relationships and good relationships with their correspondent banks. So it's kind of a three-pronged approach where, you know, at the diplomatic level, you'd have the ministers speaking with the Congress um, people and, you know, um, other members of government and other regulatory bodies. And, And I think one of the things that they've they've been looking at and you know whether or not this will come to fruition is completely i i have no idea but you know it's is whether or not the 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 fines should there be an infraction let's just say you know a small bank in in one of our territories runs afoul of some law somewhere it's determined by somebody instead of having the large money center bank be liable for that infraction then the the liability would shift to the bank. Now, there is good and bad in that, obviously, because whereas the large banks can afford to write a $100 million check or $250 million Small check. Small money for them, you know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It, it would wipe out a lot of our, um, you know, smaller banks in the region. And so, whereas that would move the risk from the larger banks, 
you know, and put it on the smaller banks, thereby allowing us to have the banking relationships that we so need, and that's the lifeblood of the the, all of the economies in the region, you know, having that over your head, that one infraction, in essence, could say, okay, you, you got to pay, you know, 250, half a, half a billion, $500 million, and, you know, that's the end of the bank. So, so, but they're looking, but, but you got to be, but they're being creative. You, you've got to at least give them credit for, you know, for, for their creativity at that level. You know, at our level, what we're trying to do is to try to help the regulatory entities understand that we are not as risky a place to do business as they think. We're also working on, um, we, we've, we were the first people that went out and found co a correspondent bank or a bank willing to create relationships with the with some of the smaller banks in the region and provide them with correspondent banking relationships um and that to this day is still you know in some instances is the only correspondent banking relationships some of these banks have and so you know we've 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 been working diligently we see that as our mandate we see that as our charter we it is it is it is the very lifeblood of who we are as an organization to ensure that our members are sound to ensure that we're providing solutions to their problems through advocating on their behalf and and i think what i've just said is just an example of of um of some of the things that we do on a on a day-to-day, month-to-month basis to try to alleviate the pain caused by and the disruption to our economies caused by the risking of um, correspondent banking relationships. Well, I was going to ask as well, because I understand that the, the fines, the, in terms of quantum, there isn't a lot of certainty. So do you think it would be helpful if there was certainty in terms of uh, certain infractions, what fine would correlate with that infraction or would that just present more problems in that? Because I think currently our banks... Because banks are risk averse, our banks mm -hmm. might go above and beyond just so that they, there's no, not even a whiff of any kind of infraction because they can't um, be forced to pay these fines. Would it be helpful if there were certainty in terms of what infractions would attract what fines or so forth? Yeah, I, I, I think, I think the, the, it would help a little bit. But, but I think that that is um, kind of a small piece of, the, of, of solving the problem. I, I think the, the, the bigger problem, the bigger issue really, are the two that I spoke about at the beginning, which is really the, that whole perception of risk. Um, because if, if, as an example, the Chase Manhattan knows that if they move money for somebody who is trying to hide it from whomever, you know, so they, let's just say they move, you know, $5 million for somebody who is trying to, you know, avoid taxes someplace or laundering money from some um, ill-gotten gains and to try to make it into um, clean money. And the fine for that would be, um, so what did I say, five million, five hundred thousand, so 10%, right? Right, right. Um, you know, I think they would have really, really smart people sitting in their, in, you know, in, in their banks, in their, in their, in their tall towers in, in the banking centers running models. And what is the probability of this? And they'll, they'll take all your data, they'll run it through modeling, and they'll say, okay, um, right, right. they do this many transactions that fall into this range, and you know the probability of this happening is that, and you know as such. And then they start to multiply it all, exactly, and you have the exactly, same problem. Exactly. If it happens, we have the same yeah. problem again. Yeah. So you know, yeah. I, I, see what it could risk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it kind of still boils back down to risk, and you know, and, mm -hmm. and so I think that 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 really is the crux of the matter. And I think 
what we're trying to do is to educate and inform those banks and those um, regulatory agencies that or regulatory bodies that we are not as risky a place to do business as the perception is. And I think mm-hmm. that is what the CAB is working diligently to do on a day-in, day-out basis. Well, and just kind of winding up now, I want to thank you, Mr. Lee, for being here with us. We're going to jump into our... Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I mean, the discussion has been riveting. I know our audience <laughs> is going to appreciate this. Uh, oh, yeah, I learned a lot. It's kind of demystifying <laughs> something that, you know, a lot of yeah. persons have been afraid to tackle. And so we're glad to have you there. But just now in terms of, um, you know, what are you drinking to? What are you raising a toast to, uh, Mr. Lee? <laughs> um, well, I, I think I mentioned that I'm, I'm sitting here in... Um, in Atlanta, Georgia, and you know, eight days from today, it will be an election for um, not only the president of the United States and the vice president, but in a lot of states for who will represent those those states in the Senate and mm-hmm. in the the Congress and the lower house. And so, all I'm going to drink to is to a fair election and a violence-free post-election season. That's what I'm drinking to. <laughs> we can raise our glass to that and we hope for that for you uh, in the US Thank you. And, and the whole world is watching. So yeah. uh, we can raise our glass Definitely to that. Jannick, what are you drinking to this week, bro? Um, well, I guess sticking with the election theme, I just want to raise our glass, um, our glasses to the fact that in St. Vincent, our election is uh, next week as well, two days after America's, but we finally, our parties finally released their manifestos. So I think now our citizens have a good idea of exactly what our policies are what the issues are because before it was just a lot of platform rhetoric and a lot of mm. a lot of heresy and stuff but at least now we have the manifestos we can read we can go through we can see exactly how we want to vote because you know it's important to vote but also the reason why you want to vote is equally as important so i'm raising my glass to that that we finally have our manifestos we could raise out all more glass to that because that's what i was going to raise my glass to and, and i find out the teeth in my things and then regular and no. episode coming <laughs> soon as well I was going to say that too. We're going to be doing an episode, a bonus episode to discuss the manifestos in St. Vincent and the Grenadines. So you guys look out for that. But we could definitely raise our glass to the, the, the political parties putting pen to paper and speaking to us about their 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 policies and plans in St. Vincent and the Grenadines. So we could all raise our glasses I to that. I could raise my glass to that too. Definitely. All right. So thanks everyone for joining us again for another episode. I hope you enjoyed as much as, uh, as, much as we did. Uh, we learned a lot. So until next time, I am the lawyer, Jared Cummings. And I'm Delano D'Souza, the policy analyst. Catch you next time.